0: Nowadays, you can create content for essentially every channel, um, every platform, everything in marketing, I would say, is
1: fueled by content. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone,
2: and welcome to another episode of The Celsian So I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Elena. Elena is currently the head of content and brand marketing at Maze, a B2B continuous discovery platform where she manages a team of four and leads the company's content marketing function. She has been at Maze for over five years, having joined as the first marketer and second employee. She has since built the company's content and brand foundations and worked across various marketing programs from long form, editorial content, SEO, videos, podcasts, events, and more. Elena believes in the power of good content to build brands and drive growth. We are connected for quite a while on LinkedIn and um, I was looking forward to a conversation like this with you, Elena, welcome.
0: Thank you so much, George. Thank you for having me.
2: So in the intro, I said a couple of things about you and your, uh, journey at Maze, but could we start by sharing a few things before, uh, you start working at, uh, at Maze and your journey up until, uh, you started at Maze.
0: Yes, of course. Um, so my journey in marketing actually began kind of accidentally as it- most marketing people, you know, times. So, um, yeah, essentially I, I kind of fell into marketing because I always loved writing and I loved reading as a, as a kid in school. And I, I always knew this is where, you know, my passion lies because, you know, my favorite subjects in school were English and Romanian. So like, I loved reading, I loved writing. Um, I also used to have like a blog for over four years in my school years um and i you know build a community around that um yeah so i knew i wanted to do something with writing when when i grow up essentially so during my university years i actually got a part-time job and i started in you know, like a content creator job like that's what they called it so it was um it was like creating it was a job creating um tourist guides for like a city um, map application for for mobiles and i also by the time i left i ended up you know doing some social media for them as well uh so this was in my first year of university and then like in the second year i also got like a remote internship with um you know like a company in the netherlands and i worked in community managing that's what they called the, the role but i i did um content and social media managing essentially. Um, and and that role was actually, you know, my first remote job, which back in 2016, I actually, um, yeah, I think it was around 2016. I think at that time you couldn't really find lots of remote marketing jobs. Like the mo- most available remote jobs were developer jobs. So that's kind of where my, my love for remote work started that I knew I wanted to continue working remotely. So that was during my uni, but after university, I yet ended up switching a lot of jobs here in my my hometown of Kishna, Moldova. I think at some point I, ha- I had like four jobs in six months and I ended up leaving all of them because I didn't like them. <laughs> so I either left, you know, because I didn't like the culture or like the job was not challenging enough. Um, so yeah, this was all before I found this job with Maze and I applied and I got started actually as a marketing intern at Maze. This was the role advertised and the role I was in for like the first six months. But I was um I joined the company. So I joined Maze as a second employee um at our precinct level. Um so yeah, I, essentially I I grew the company from there. It has been an amazing journey for the past five years and I've I've become a manager now, as you mentioned in in the introduction, and yeah, I I've loved and I still love my my job at Maze, and I, I truly believe in, in the in the mission we're solving for.
2: Can you please speak about that mission? I mean, uh, for someone who hasn't heard of Maze before, uh, can you give us an overview of what the company does and who is the typical customer?
0: Yes, of course. So Maze is a B2B continuous product discovery platform. Um, what that means is, um, essentially we allow product teams to run product research from, um, really like the first stages of a product development, development process. So think like idea generation, idea, uh, testing uh, up until, and even after launch. So you can do lots of types of, um, research with Maze. And um, it it you know varies from you know research that's more generative, where you can research what you can build and how you're going to be that um, and and like other kinds of more like evaluative research, where you can test what you build um, and uh, and then test how you know that product is performing after launch as well. So in terms of who is it for, it's actually. Um, so where we found initial product market fit, with maze in, in the first, you know, like in the early days, it was with UX designers or product designers. Um, so they were our, you know, like, um, our promoters, let's say of maze. We, we actually built a very good community with, with product designers. And then, um, we time, we built and expanded from there. So we added more use cases, we built uh, additional functionality. So today when we say, you know, who are we building for and who are already, you know, uh, targeting, you know, marketing um, it's what we call product teams. So product designers, as I mentioned, but also UX researchers and product managers, um, that's what we seem like a product use thesis so who can use the product but if we go beyond like um like that and if we look at who can actually consume the insights you've collected with maze and the learnings you've made with maze it can go you know like it can be anyone from like marketing people maybe even like executive uh, founders I don't know um anyone in a product organization essentially
2: that makes sense um now Five years with the company, first marketing hire, leading content and uh, brand marketing. I will ask you, what were the biggest learnings from this journey so far when it comes to content and what drives actual results when it comes to your content strategy?
0: Yeah, very big question. <laughs> um yeah, so I always joke that every six months or so, it's like I'm at a new company, um, because especially in those early years, you know, when you're building a startup, um, every six months or so, you, you're like, you, you know, you add more people, you, you, um, yeah, you expand your team, you build new use cases, you evolve you your strategy. So it's, it's, you know, like, I would say it changes with only content at a startup. Um, but in terms of my biggest learnings when it comes to content strategy, there is yeah you know, a lot of learnings I made over the years. But I would say the biggest learnings go back to basics, like basics in in marketing. I would say the fundamentals uh, that everyone kind of always forgets somehow. So if we look at content strategy, my biggest learning I would say is focus. So when you're um, especially as I started as a first my marketer. And then I moved into a content role when my uh, manager, so like current VP of marketing joined after me, that's when I moved in a content role. So I was then up after that, I was the only content person as well. So when you're for, you know, only, a, you know, a one person content team, you need to focus because you know, nowadays you can create content for essentially every channel. Um, every platform, everything in marketing, I would say is fueled by content. Um, so that's my biggest learning. Like you need to have focus and you need to understand what your marketing strategy is because a content strategy is based on your marketing strategy and you need to understand where you want to have the biggest impact. And then, um, you need to also connect that to the business strategy as well. So. I think that's my biggest learning and, you know, it has been something I've struggled with as well. And my team has struggled with as well. Like we've had to, you know, like we always want to do a lot of things. I have a, you know, I work with a team of very talented people who always want to do the best and want to create a lot of content and, um, you know, like a lot of do a lot of interesting things, but we've had to actually like, even earlier this year, we had to look at everything we were doing and we had to say, okay. What, where do we want to have the biggest impact and what's the highest priority for us right now as a team and as a company. And then we actually had to cut down a lot of things from there, uh, things we like projects we've started and we had to put a stop to them because we realized we needed to progress our efforts, um, like a very particular channel or a very particular goal. So yeah, I would say focus, you need to have focus, you need to understand how what you're doing as a content team or as a you know, content person, you need to understand how what you're doing you know, connects to bigger goals, like connects to marketing goals, connects to business goals as well. Um, and yeah, and then tie everything together with that. And then I would say another learning I've had over the years is, Again, it's nothing new, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not inventing new things here. It's really um, marketing basics, quality over quantity. I think like everyone, you know, like there is a, a big challenge of, you know, scale and production when it comes to st- a startup marketing. Like you really have to, you know, when you just get started in content, you're starting from scratch, you have no- nothing, you have nothing on the blog. And you like, there is a push to, you know, let's do a lot of things, but publish a lot of content. Let's, you know, like how fast can we get this thing out? But if you're not, if you don't, you know, if you don't focus on creating something of quality, and I would say that's even more important now with the amount of content that's being put out nowadays, there's a lot of noise out where, you know, attention spans are not great. People aren't gonna pay attention to anything that's not good, I would say. And when we got started with our content strategy I, I would like three years ago now, I would say that's what I had to advocate for most. Like I see ICO was the you know, first channel we actually invested in a lot and the first channel we wanted to scale and scale. And you know, like the commenting with SEO is that Everyone thinks you can do it very quickly and do it at scale, But I was very adamant on, we need to create something of value because yes, you're going to create a lot of content. You're going to publish that. You're going to get a lot of traffic. But what happens when most people, you know, what happens when someone arrives on your website from Google search? Do they actually stay there? Do they, you know, read the content you put on the page, do they convert? or if not, do they actually remember you and then come back later? Maybe I think even at that point, you know, we, when May started, um, we didn't really have a lot of like companies that were doing the same thing in terms of of the product right now, you know, the industry has grown and there is a lot more competitors, which is a great thing. But, uh, at that point we didn't really have, you know, like a lot of, um, product competitors, let's say you could do the same thing you do with me, but we have other kind of product. Whereas on the content side, we had a lot of what I like to call content competitors. Uh, so a lot of like big websites, you know, very well-known websites where we're already publishing content on the topics we want to address. So the only way we could have competed with them is by doing something better or doing something unique. So I think quality of country is definitely another learning and something I've always tried to advocate for. And I always try to bring people back to, you know, these are the basics. Um, yeah, I would say these are my, my biggest learnings.
2: What about challenges? What are the biggest challenges from, uh, you know, these five years? Yeah, um,
0: I mean, there's a lot of challenges. <laughs> Even these learnings, obviously, like they come from you know things I struggle with or like challenges we had as a team and then you kind of learn and you go grow from there um in terms of challenges I would say one of the biggest challenges I'd find like content teams have and even like I struggled with really about my team you know uh, has struggled with really that as well is that there is a very big risk that as a content team in a in an organization you kind of become like a request taking team. Um, you know what I mean? Like you have like, the product marketing team wants you to, you know, write some copy, edit a product announcement, but the gen team needs some copy for, I don't know, ads or needs it to write, you know, some emails or needs it to write a report for lead generation, all of that. Um, you have, you know, obviously other things, depending on what your content team is, is responsible for. There is a, a very big risk with the content team you kind of become just, you know, like that team that takes requests and just completes those. And you're almost like, you know, you're just there to support our our teams. So I would say that has been my biggest challenge where I really didn't want that to be the case with the content team at Maze. So I really wanted us to, yes, we're there to support our our teams because that's, you know, the role of content as well, but. Beyond that, like, what's the biggest, what's the impact that we want to have as a team, like that's my, you know, the biggest challenge I've had and where I had to actually stop and think and have conversations with my manager where I said like, look, I want us to lead this project. And this is an, you know, an idea for a project we have, but we want to lead. So actually to give you a, like a concrete example of that. Like at the beginning of this year, like a content land project became a company wide OKR for us at Maze, just because I noticed an opportunity where like I noticed um a business, you know, challenge we had where so if um if we speak about research for instance, which is what Mays allows you to do, is essentially research. One of the biggest, you know, challenges we had as a company back when, you know, like the pandemic happened and then the recession and all of that, we had a lot of churn let's say right so we had a lot of churn um and not only that but we had companies coming in so like we had people coming in the funnel who actually you know like what we're doing liked our brand wanted to use the product but then they didn't end up you know going with me because they didn't have enough maturity to, to use the product um because in their own organization they weren't you know they mature enough for a product like like us so i kept hearing this challenge from the customer success team at made and from like with sales team as well i kept hearing conversation or oh we lost that organization because you know like we uh they they don't have use for me it's right now they are not using the product enough so then i i thought like a good way to solve that or like i was thinking how can we solve that through content um and then um it, it it came to me that we could create like a research maturity model where we would provide actionable like content for organization to grow their research maturity so then i i you know shared that with my manager she pitched that to the leadership team and it became a company-wide area where we wanted to you know enable organization to grow their research maturity and that ended up being a six-month project for us at maize uh where we created this model. We worked with industry experts to create a framework for um organizations. We collected data from, you know, over six hundred organizations and we created a report as well. And then we launched that and we also launched a course, so like a free course you can take to grow your um maturity. So to go back to your question, I think that's like Like to me, the biggest challenge of a content team, but I always have to, you know, like work to work on and push against Is I don't think a content team should be just, you know, like request-taking team. I think you have to have your own impact um, and you have to deliver that impact and tie it back to your business uh, goals. And you also have to communicate that impact outside just, you know, being a support functioning function for other departments.
2: Yeah. So you can just be there to fulfill demands and uh, create content for sales or whoever comes and knocks at your door. Uh, you, you have to have your own say, uh, and be able to drive in, but with your projects, an example, which you, you mentioned, right. Um, so if we could zoom out uh, from this project and try to see the whole picture, what would you say are the things that are part of your content strategy and, you know, focus um, nowadays?
0: Yeah, um, oh, to answer this, I need to give some context <laughs> around how, how we, we have been thinking about content strategy from the beginning. So actually content has been a key pillar of like the company from day on, day one. Um because again, like from the way Maze started is um so as I mentioned before, Maze found like initial product market fit with designers. Um, because at that time there was no tool that allowed designers to actually copy their prototype link and then post it into a product and make could test that with users very easily. Like that was before Maze that was actually something very hard to achieve like you would have to have, you know a researcher working with you you have to do like moderated like research like you know like speaking to users one-on-one um and it was just very hard to do and then yeah it it wasn't something designers usually did so we when we built the tool we created something that designers can just take um you know could use by themselves uh in, you know, an in interface they are familiar with from, like, the tools they already use. But the problem we had is that actually, like, designers di- don't know or, like, traditionally don't do research. So they don't know how to do that, you know. Um, and research is a very complex, you know, like, um, thing. It's not easy, you know, like, people go uh, to uni for bad, they do your bachelor and master's and PhD in that it's not easy. so our entire content philosophy is centered around that goal, it was to mainly educate non-researchers to do research. And if you look, um, like at the time, if you looked at whatever resources available for people to learn how to run UX research, there were resources mainly targeted toward UX researchers. So again, they were filled with like industry jargon, they were very hard to understand, very hard to consume. So that's where. Yeah, you know, our content strategy center. was around educating our personas, um, non-researchers, the basics of research. Because again, there is some form of research that uh, only researchers should and can do. But we wanted to empower our, you know, personas to do that, you know, the, ba- the basic uh, type of research that anyone can can do so that's why we actually have a lot of free resources on our website we created a lot of guides, and uh that was the and still is the basis of our content strategy if we uh look at content strategy from like what's the you know the goals we're trying to to move them needle on and the metrics we use to measure success on um, at me May- but you know, the content team is, is responsible for bringing new audiences into our funnel. So it's growing our top of the funnel. Um, so obviously that's traffic from all our, you know, the content we produce, we, we, we do measure that. Um, but I would say it's not just traffic for content uh, for traffic's sake. Uh, we also look at how does the traffic convert. We also actually me- measure, you know, pipeline generated from content. Um, so all of the good things <laughs> as well. So it's, you know, like content is there to support and drive the top of the funnel, but we also look at how does that actually convert and translate into, um, you know, signups and all of that.
2: It's great that you, uh, that you said that because one of my questions was regarding, uh, let's say content performance measurement. um. And I guess you gave the answer. You you create content for to serve different say, objectives, um which obviously makes makes perfect sense. One thing I would like to discuss is the fact that you have some topic clusters around UX topics that ranked that rank for um many keywords with high visibility and high you know positions and, and so on. Um Could you explain your thought process and how you approach uh, topic clusters from like initial topic selection uh, to how you design your your hubs um, to anything else like content optimization and and so on?
0: Yeah, very big topic. Let's speak about that for like an hour. Um, Yeah, so I would say like I would say, like, if you look at our website and the content we produce right now, about 70% or so is content optimized for SEO. I don't want to say SEO content because I ha- hate that <laughs> I wish we wouldn't call it that, but yeah, for the in place too, so you know what I mean? But yeah, a lot of the content we produce is optimized for SEO and as you said, it ranks for very competitive keywords. Um, and I, as I mentioned, we, that was our, our first channel we inv- invested in from a content perspective and even today, it's like our, our most top performing channel when it comes to top of a funnel, it's still organic search to this day. I don't want to say it's going to continue to be bad because we, we all know we AI and you know, all of that probably going to change. Um, but yeah, organic search has been a big investment for us, and we're still you know reaping the benefits of that years later. Um, so in terms of how we approach, uh, you know, our cluster creation and how we select keywords uh, and all of that, there is really, um, you know, I would say there's two parts to doing content well for SEO. You need to have your SEO basics down, which I think you know anyone listening to your podcast probably know what they are. So I'm not gonna go through them, but you know, you need to optimize a page for a particular keyword. And you need to have, you know, uh and we do that through, you know, tools like Clear Scope and all of that. You need to do proper research, uh, keyword research, you need to understand the search intent. You need to understand what, you know, section you you need to have um in in the pages. So I'm not gonna go through all of that, but you need to have your SEO basics down because if you want to rank on running search That's, you know, the basics of it. And then the part that um, I think is less discussed in SEO, you know, spaces is actually how does that connect to a broader, let's say, brand strategy and a broader um, editorial strategy as well? Because, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, sometimes I feel like, I hope I'm not insulting anyone, but I feel like SEO folks just look at, you know, like, for them success is did this person you know convert or didn't this person land on a page and that's it based on beer which I know is super important and you want to get that right but to me like the content we you produce needs to go beyond that it needs to actually you know help you build your brand uh, so if we go back again to how we got started and Two or three years ago, we had no content on our website. And then we decided that we're gonna invest in SEO. I didn't wanna just create, you know, SEO content for the sake of SEO content and get that traffic and that's it. I actually wanted to, for us to build a very useful resource library that ranks on search, but at the same time, it's there to, you know, be consumed by our audience. It's there to educate uh, our audience. It's there for people to check out no matter if they're coming from search or not, is there to, you know, um, yeah. And then other part of it is UX and user experience. Like what's the experience you want to give your readers once they are on your page, once they've ca- arrived from Google search, what's that experience like? So that's kind of how we approach creating that cluster, um, and our, you know, our strategy with that is the typical, you know, hub-and-spoke approach to content marketing where you create a hub around a topic keyword and then you have spokes. So like read a pages related to that topic. Um, so that's how we approach it. And we have two types of hubs right now on our website. One is what we call guides. So that, that we usually, you know, chapter by chapter um, resource where you um, group together um, related topics and you can rank that way on a very difficult keyword and then the other kind of hub we have is uh, one we call collections which we are actually in the process of redesigning that entire experience because they are quite old. but the thought process there was you know, those collections are on topics that are very broad so they are like on topics like UX, product uh, development and so on. So at the time I didn't want to just create let's say a guide to you know the ultimate guide to ux or like the ultimate guide to product management or product development i i just didn't think that's the right format or a topic this broad that's like saying the ultimate guide to marketing i'm like what's that you know like you can't see saying related to marketing in a guide you know like it's, it's just not gonna be enough so then we decided we're gonna keep the same hub and spoke approach. You can have the URL structure there, you know, like all set up for, for Google. <laughs> but then, from an editorial perspective, you, I wanted to have more of a collection approach where we, you know, uh in addition to those articles we have there for SEO, we also kind of feature in that collection any other content we've created on the topic, like, you know, podcast episode, the events, um, our guides, you know, um, so any other resources we found on that topic. So we can actually give people on that page, uh, you know, a comprehensive resource on the topic so they can learn um, through, you know, they can learn from beginning to end, or at least that was the goal we, we had there. So again, I think it comes back to, yeah, you want to get your SEO fundamentals right, but then how does that content actually build your brand in the long term? Um, and that's what we try to to achieve there.
2: Do you think that, um, I don't subscribe to the term as you, uh, put it earlier. Uh, but do you think that SEO content, um, will be a thing of the past in say three to five years down the road?
0: Well, <laughs> that's a big question. I don't have imaginable stats of that, but you know, we all know what's happening with generative AI, you know, like, um, any need a, you know, reintroduction or, you know, like of generative AI is going to change. It's going to impact everyone who invests in SEO. We don't know exactly how, I just still think SEO is going to continue to exist as a channel. I don't think it's going to disappear completely, as long well as we have, you know, first results. that's what SEO is. But what that looks like from a content perspective, um, I do think it's going to change. So we'll probably have to learn a met like I think SEO people have already always done, you know. Um, but in terms of SEO content, the reason I said I didn't like it as a term is because I think there is, you know, that connotation where it If you say SEO content, people just automatically think it's bad content because of the nature of how SEO people have approached creating this content. Right. So I don't like that distinction because to me, any content produced, you know, by a brand needs to be, um, like if you want to do something with it, it needs to be good. You know, if you want, if you want it to have some type of effect, it needs to be good. So that to me, um. I, that's why I don't like that term, but to me, you know, instead of when it's a content, I try to say content optimized for SEO, which is what it is.
2: I agree. Um, and thoughts on uh, generative AI and any use cases you may have found for, uh, Maze?
0: Oh, <laughs> so thoughts on generative AI, I'll start there. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, mainly from like how it's going to impact lots of content marketers. Um, I do think it's going to have a big impact on our profession as content people, um, and I can, I can expand a bit on that. So what I mean is, I mean, I don't think it's going to take our jobs, which I think it was, you know, but here, but a lot of content people had when ChatGPT was released to the public, I think everyone kind of creeped out at that point, um, I Don't think it's going to take our jobs, but I do think it's going to impact our roles and it's probably going to shift the role of a content marketer in the future. So, what I mean is, if you look at what Chat GPT or like all these generative AI tools did, is they put, um, they democratize access to writing and business writing in particular. Um, because I have Different about some creative writing, and that's an hour thing. But like we we talk about business writing here. So if you look at it, like what what tools like generative to AI did, um, they essentially put like a writer in the head of everyone in the organization. Like if until now, you know, our people, our departments were uh, non writers were blocked by content writers when they wanted to, you know, write an email, write a an announcement, even like, you know, a very important, um, you know, internal announcement as well. Like you had to have a right and go over that. Right. Um, nowadays I would say writing has become a commodity, right? It has become a commodity that everyone has access to. And we can argue that, you know, and I have the same opinion as a lot of content people do, but the content you get from, at least right now, it's not very good, but to non-writer people. I don't think they see the difference. <laughs> so I think because I mean, you know, even ChatGPT has been trained on the content that's out there. It's not, you know, like it's creating content similar to what we as content people have put out. So at the end of the day, to a degree, content as good as what's already out there, you know, out there. So I think, I mean that's a, a bit unfortunate and sad because i could go i could go on to like you know a very big discussion around how writing is actually a very hard skill to master and like good writers are actually super you know like uh strategic people because to be a good writer and especially in b2b you have to know a lot you have to be an industry expert you have to know your product you have to understand your customer you have to do a lot of things. And I think traditionally writing hasn't been, let's just say, as appreciated as our or like content writers haven't been as appreciated as our market people. Um, and I mean, we can argue about that, but I, I, I've, you know, I don't know shade to product marketers, but I think if you look at a marketing organization, product market marketers have always been the more, you know, sought after marketers and the more let's say compensated marketers. Whereas I could argue that any content marketer can become a product marketer, but I don't think any product marketing could do can do the reverse, right? And I work with product marketers and I can surely say they're not ready to be a content marketer. Whereas like I can point it to three people today who are content marketers and they can become product marketers tomorrow. Because the skills are there, it's just a different approach, but the skills are there. So to me, it's very unfortunate that writing hasn't been, you know, appreciated as a skill in marketing. And unfortunately with AI, it has become even more of a commodity. So in terms of like my puts on AI, I think it's going to impact our profession, but not hopefully not in a bad, bad way, because I actually think if cotton marketers can adopt and can find, you know, our skills to focus on and to um, add to their expertise, let's say, not just writing, then I think there is a, a future where content marketers can actually be more appreciated because of what they do. Um, in terms of the use cases, so your second part of the question, in terms of the use cases, we've found that me, so we've been experimenting with, you know, like AI tool, like any other content teams out there and but our you know like we use writer.com which i'm gonna shout out here because it's a my, my favorite um you know generative ai tool out there because it can actually you know keep your brand guidelines in mind and all of that um but yeah we we are using it not to fully produce content uh i don't think that's what it's there for um but we are using it for you know quick things like research is very good at very initial you know ge- generative stages of content creation where you just need some help to research a topic to come up with ideas to give you a rough outline that you can then you know edit and work from I think that's where you know um AI tools are I'm good at now
2: I know we are a bit tight in terms of uh, time so I will save um uh, all the other questions I had for a future discussion. Um, last question I have for you, uh Elena, where can people find out more and uh, get in touch if they'd like to?
0: Yes, for sure. So I can send over my LinkedIn um links and all of that. I'm mostly on LinkedIn with days but you can also find me on Twitter. Um, let's so recently. But yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter is where I'm at. I'm happy to speak to anyone who reaches out about anything content related, really.
2: We will drop this in the show notes for people to access. Um, Elena, I would like to thank you very much. Uh, That was a very nice discussion and uh, looking forward to part two at some point.
0: Thank you so much. Looking forward as well.
1: Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new, too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.